What a privilege to worship the King of Kings together today. Thank you very much, uh, musicians and Pastor Mike. This has been refreshing for Sue and me. The first time that Sue and I toured the Erewhon Shrine in central Bangkok, we struggled to believe what our eyes were seeing. It was not saffron-robed monks who were bowing before the four-faced statue, nor was it the urban poor. It was businessmen and women, clearly highly intelligent and schooled and successful people, in suits and ties and in dresses, who were there unashamedly bowing before the statue and placing their offerings at its feet. As the burning incense and a sway of the sacred dancers gave a holy ambiance to the scene, we watched as floral garlands and fruit and valuables were offered to the idol. The worshipers showed no concern for onlookers like Sue and me, They got down on their hands and knees, clasped their hands together, and they prayed to this statue. Why did they come here? Why in the heat of the day, it was about noon, their lunch hour, why when surely there were many pressing issues that they needed to attend to, why did they come to this statue? Fear? Expiation, emptiness. But the word that pressed upon our heart most prominently was evil. Evil was enslaving these people. We're introduced to evil in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? With that single question, just saying, looks like. With that single question, the serpent sowed seeds of doubt and disappointment into the heart of Eve. And that's exactly what he wanted to do. He wanted to to put a wedge of discontentment between Eve and her God, and then Adam and his God. And he has been fulfilling that same strategy for you and me and other people on this planet ever since. The devil wants to sow the evil seeds of doubt and of discontentment in us. It's evil at work. It's time that we wise up to the reality that there is good and there is evil in the world. And we need to call it what it is. We need to recognize that our enemy is not other people, but our enemy is that one from of old who is bent on destroying us and discrediting the one true God. He will never succeed. I want to take you to a passage of Scripture 
where evil is present and defeated. And I hope that this passage will be an encouragement to you to stand in this present evil age. This is going to be a participatory sermon. There are four points to it, and at the end of each point, I'm going to invite you to sing because it's vital, important, that we, that, that we affirm our faith in the one true God and his power over evil. Let's take a moment to pray. Our Father, now as we come to your word, we pray that you would open our eyes to how great and wonderful and trustworthy you are. And we pray that at the end of, of this time in your word, we might be motivated to be your ambassadors with courage. And if there be anyone here who is entrapped, has not yet come to Christ for salvation, we pray that today will be the day of liberation through the gospel. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 21 to 28. For in this passage, this narrative, this true story about Jesus, we find four characteristics of evil and the power, the absolute power of God and the victory of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. Four characteristics of evil that we find in Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. The first characteristic is that the presence of evil is pervasive. The presence of evil is pervasive. Now let's read the entire text and then then we'll, we'll work through it. Mark chapter 1 and verse 21 to 28. Then they went into Capernaum and immediately on a Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? And what new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Four characteristics of evil. The first one there in verses 21 to 23, is that evil is pervasive. It's pervasive. Where did Jesus encounter evil on this occasion? It was in a synagogue, wasn't it? It was in a synagogue, that place of worship. Now, when I was a child, we would play tag out on the school playground. And we would have this place that we called ghoul that was safe. And if you were in that location, nobody could tag you. In real life, there's no ghoul. There's no place that is safe. Because the presence of evil in this age is pervasive. Just as evil was found in the synagogue, 
so evil can even be found in church. Now, that doesn't mean we cast a suspicious eye on different people, but we have to accept that there can be tares sown among the wheat. We have to accept that the Word of God must remain our standard, and we must always look unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Evil is pervasive. In Western culture, I don't think we automatically understand that. In Asian and African, South American culture, I think they they, they have a better understanding that evil is pervasive. One of our lectures with the Asia Biblical Theological Seminary was teaching in the Philippines for the first time. And he was going to teach systematic theology. So he structured out his lectures. And just as he had experienced when he went through seminary here in the United States, he planned on just spending a brief amount of time on angelology. And then we'd move quickly on to ecclesiology and eschatology and spend a lot, of, a lot more time on those topics. But when he introduced angelology to the Filipino students, the hands started shooting up with questions. And he immediately realized they've got a different perspective than I've ever been exposed to before. It ended up being a very long topic. But here in the West, our minds tend to dismiss the possibility of evil spirits. What is our Western first impulse when problems arise? Do we think that it might be a spirit? Do we, do we think that it might be the, the devil who's acting? Or is our first impulse scientific to analyze the problem and diagnose the problem and prescribe a step-by-step solution to the problem which we will enact ourselves? That's what we do in the West. We don't consider that there might be a spiritual dynamic to it. As if we can solve every problem if only we apply enough ingenuity and effort to it. If we pray at all, it's a token asking God to bless the plan that we've already decided to put into place. The presence of evil is pervasive. We need to wake up to it. We need to be aware of it. But we also must be balanced about it. It is possible to become fascinated with the spirit world to the point that we are paralyzed by fear. And that is the state of affairs in Asia and in other parts of the world where they have this awareness, this appreciation for the spirit world. In large part, they're enslaved to fear as well because of it. But we must not fear because we know who our enemy is. And more than that, we know who has overcome him, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus gave this reassurance to his disciples. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And that's the truth, isn't it? 
And so we must always have this balance. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, as we already saw, the, the devil, that serpent, sowed seeds of doubt and discontentment into the heart of Eve. And so take a look at your own heart. For this is where the activity of the evil one takes place. Are there seeds of doubt in your heart? Are you finding yourself questioning the goodness of God? Now, it's natural to have that impulse when we face difficulties. Maybe we're diagnosed with a serious illness or we're having a financial crisis or there's relationship conflict. It's it's natural to instinctively react and, and, and to reach for where is God in this? But that's where we must affirm our faith. Are there seeds of doubt that are taking root in your heart? What about discontentment? Which flows more easily from our lips? Thanksgiving or complaining? Evil is pervasive. And the intention of evil is to cause us to doubt and to be discontent. The reformer Martin Luther understood the pervasiveness of evil. The classic hymn that he wrote that we still sing today addresses this very thing. And so I'd like for you to affirm with me, let's us affirm together, the truth of God's word about the presence of evil by singing the first verse of this hymn. Fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek. see it there, the pervasiveness of evil, the flood of mortal ills. His craft and power are great. He's armed with cruel hate. We see that in the text, the pervasiveness of evil. Secondly, we see in the text the personality of evil. The personality of evil is poisonous. It is poisonous. Now, in gangster movies, sometimes you'll see the hitman standing over his victim, and just before he pulls the trigger, he says, It ain't personal, it's business. 
Do you think that's any consolation? (laughs) I don't think so. But when it comes to evil, it is always personal. It's personal. For evil is not a force. Evil is a person. The devil is a person. Demons are persons. And it is personal, the hatred that they have for you, and especially for Jesus Christ. Look at verse 23 and 24. This evil speaks. You have to be a person to speak, don't you? And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It's personal. It's a person that is afflicting this man in the synagogue. The origin of evil is not a mystery to us. The Bible tells us. It tells us in Isaiah 14, verse 12, that God created Lucifer. Lucifer, the star of the morning, a powerful angel, great authority and ability. And he rebelled against God. And he rose up and exalted himself. And he hardened himself as the adversary, the devil. And he fell. Isaiah 14 Verses 12 to 14 read, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like, what's it say? The Most High. I will be like the Most High, the adversary, the devil. And likewise, his followers who fell with him, the demons, those angels who fell, created to serve God but rebelled against him. It's personal. And the personhood of their activity is highlighted in the Old Testament and in the New in that we see that when people offer sacrifices to idols such as Sue and I saw there in Bangkok at the four-faced Brahma, the Bible says they are offering sacrifices to demons, to personalities. Let me show you where it says that. Among other places, Leviticus 17, verse 7, they shall no more offer their sacrifices to what? Demons, that's what it says there. After whom they have played the harlot, this shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. Deuteronomy 32, verse 17. They sacrificed to what? To demons, not to God. To gods they did not know, to new gods, new arrivals that their fathers did not fear. And then Psalm 106, verse 37. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to what? To demons, the personality of evil is poisonous. As persons, the devil and the demons have identifiable personality. Jesus described the characteristic of the devil, his personality this way. He said, 
He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaketh of his own, or he speaks his own language, his native tongue, because he is a liar and the father of it. The personality of evil is poisonous. It doesn't happen by chance that we are attacked and opposed. It happens by intent, by purpose. I take you back to the four-faced Brahma. Why was the Erwan Shrine created in central Bangkok on prime real estate? Well, it was created there because in 1956, someone intended to build a high-rise hotel. And the construction of that hotel was plagued by mishaps right from the very beginning, culminating with a valuable load of Italian marble going down with a ship that sunk. And so they consulted the spiritists to understand why are we having so much difficulty with this place? And the spiritists advised it was because they laid the foundation on the wrong day. It was an unlucky day. And because they chose the wrong day, it was doomed to failure. The only thing that they could do to satisfy the spirits was to make that plot of ground a shrine instead. And that's what they've done. And you can see in the picture that around that valuable real estate, there are now today skyscrapers. But that piece of ground is dedicated to satisfy the spirits with a four-faced Brahma. Is there trouble in your soul? Don't overlook the fact that we have a personal enemy opponent and his attacks are real and personal. So what should we do? What you must do is make your defense personal. Make your defense personal. And what is that defense? The person of Jesus Christ. Will you affirm that with me, please? As we sing the second stanza of A Mighty Fortress. Did we in our own strength confide? We lose. It's in the Son of God. Sing it with me. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be, Christ Jesus in his Lord Sabaoth his name from age to age the same and he must win the battle. The presence of evil 
is pervasive. The personality of evil is poisonous. Thirdly, we see in the passage that the purpose of evil is pernicious. That is, it is spiteful, it is malicious, it is destructive. Verse 25 and 26. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. The evil spirit could not resist the command of Jesus Christ. But he didn't come out peacefully. He convulsed his victim and he shrieked to terrorize the onlookers. In other passages of the New Testament, we read of similar explosions of hate. We read of a boy thrown into a fire by an evil spirit. We read of of a man naked, afflicted, cutting himself among the tombs. And we read in the Bible predictably that this rage will culminate when the devil is cast out of heaven and he wages his final battle. But what awaits him is the bottomless pit and eternal judgment in the lake of fire. It's noteworthy that when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he included this phrase, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from what? From evil. Deliver us from evil. Now again, there is a balance to how often we give the devil credit. We can give him too much credit and thereby glorify him. There is a segment of Christianity today that is taking upon themselves the initiative to try to identify the names of spirits in a locality and to take the battle to the spirits. That's foolishness. We read in the Bible of someone who attempted that same kind of thing and what happened is they were abused and fled away naked. We should not be seeking to bring the battle to the spirits. But I think in our circles, especially in Western countries like Australia and the United States, we tend to err on the opposite side in not recognizing that there is evil and that evil opposes us. A common place where the influence of evil surfaces is in our relationships. Satan knows that a house divided against itself cannot stand, and so he attacks our families And he attacks our churches, he he attacks our community, that there might be division among us. And that we might think that this person over here is my enemy, or or my, my wife, it's her fault, or my children, it's their fault. And that's why the Apostle Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6, catalogs relationships. 
He talks about the husband and wife relationship and how husbands are to love their wives and wives are to submit to their husbands. He talks about the parent and child relationship, that fathers are not to exasperate their children and children are to obey their parents. And he talks about the employment relationship, masters and slaves or employers and employees and how they're to relate to one another. And then he caps it off with this verse. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. We do not wrestle against what? Flesh and blood. Your spouse is not your enemy. That wayward child is not your enemy. That oppressive father is not your enemy. I'm not minimizing the pain that comes in some of these things. There is abuse that can happen. But ultimately, it's not that person. It's, as the scripture says, against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The purpose of evil is pernicious. The devil is bent on destroying our relationships. So let's recognize this perniciousness and let's fight the good fight of the faith. Let's do as Ephesians 6 tells us to do. Daily, take on the armor. Committing ourselves in dependence upon Christ and his word to stand. Will you sing this third stanza of A Mighty Fortress with me? should threaten to undo us. We will not fear, for God has will His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. Pernicious, pernicious, bent on destruction. His rage we can endure. What's it take to fell him? One little word. One little, one little word shall fell him. And that leads to our final point. The power of evil is predetermined. Lucifer may have been the greatest of the angels. He may have been created far more powerful and more noble than you or I. And that is why Jude speaks to the foolishness of trifling with him that even the archangel Michael did not presume to take upon himself the power to defeat him. And yet... Lucifer is no match for God. 
No match for God. One little word shall fell him. Not even necessary to break a sweat. Back in Mark chapter 1, the power of Jesus' word now amazes the synagogue crowd. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? And what new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Herein is hope. This is the good news. Evil ends. Evil ends. The the opposition, the oppression that we may experience today will end. And the perfect kingdom of Jesus Christ will come to this earth. One little word shall fell him. Now, I hope that you are part of that kingdom. The central focus of Scripture is the love of God for you and me. He did not treat us as enemies, but he had compassion on us as sheep that were lost and without a shepherd. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was at the cross that Jesus became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It was at the cross that he atoned fully for your sin, for my sin, that we might be Liberated, forgiven, and cleansed. No more hold over us by the evil one, by death, by sin. But liberated. Transformed into a child of God. The invitation in the scripture is simple. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you been saved? Have you called on the name of the Lord? I love that word, whosoever. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've come from. Whosoever. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, it tells us in 1 John 1, 7, cleanses us from all sin. you have not come to Christ, won't you come to him today and be saved? Christ has conquered. And once liberated, our blessed privilege is to be his ambassadors on this earth and to, de- and to declare liberty to the captives right around the globe. That is our mission. On the 17th of August, 2015, evil visited the Erewhon Shrine in another form. 
A terrorist bomb was planted beneath a bench and detonated while the square was full of worshipers. Twenty people were killed, 125 were wounded. And sadly, that is a scene that is repeated with frightening regularity right around our globe. Whether it's terrorism or it's an active shooter, the horrors that are taking place in our world leave us wondering why. What is happening? Well, today we know the answer. Evil. Evil is happening. Evil that is as active, more active than ever before because the evil one knows his time is short. On a global scale, hope is dimming. There's fear. There's despair. There's militantism. Stop the refugees. Tear down the mosques. Carry a gun at all times. The time is ripe for we as believers in Jesus Christ to hold up the banner of truth, to hold up the hope of the gospel, to hold up the authority and the dependability of Jesus Christ who has conquered and who will consummate his kingdom. And I believe it's coming soon. It's time for us to not be afraid, but for us to stand and to more boldly than ever before invest our resources, our people, in taking this glorious gospel to the darkest places on this planet, beginning here in St. John's and to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's time we declare the truth. The devil is defeated, and Jesus Christ has won. And so I invite you to sing with me this last stanza. That little word that shall fell him, let's acclaim that word, the word of God. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth Amen. His kingdom is forever. But did we mean what we sang? Do we understand that the spirit and the gifts are ours? We are not weak. The Holy Spirit indwells us in this age. And he has gifted us that we might nurture and we might help to grow this his body. First Baptist Church here in St. John's. 
And so this is the day for us to exercise our gifts, to be active and involved and faithful. Don't let them win. And then what about this? Let goods and kindred go. In the church that we serve on Sunday afternoons, they understand what that means. The kindred part. It's a church full of first-generation Christians, Arabic Christians. It cost them to put their faith in Christ. And let me tell you, when we have a baptismal service, and we have them frequently, and they share their testimony... There's emotion with it because they've let kindred go. And they're not ashamed to be baptized and identify with Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. But there's another way that we need to let kindred go. What happens if God calls your son or your daughter to be a missionary to the far side of the world? I've discovered in my role that one of the biggest barriers to missions is a standard of living that parents insist that their children have. Will we let our kindred go to Shanghai or New Delhi where the pollution is so terrible? To work undercover in a Muslim nation? where they may be under threat. Maybe God's calling you to go. Would you affirm that the body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still? It's a serious declaration. Are you prepared to make that declaration today? Our Father, we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We confess that he is building his church and there is nothing in our lives more important than that. And so give us courage to follow taking up our cross daily, being obedient to you, resistant to the devil, abhorring sin, loving the brethren, contributing and building this, your church in St. John's, and obeying your call should you want to take someone from this congregation perhaps even me, to take the gospel to the far ends of the earth. Thank you for Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.